0: Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode number 13. As always, it's great to be here with you. We have a great lineup for you today we're starting off the show with the segment what's on my mind followed by mailbox mania where we're taking a look at some of the different publications that hit my mailbox every week and then we're sitting down and talking to jonathan wilder discussing the topic of water quality it's a great show so let's get started with what's on my mind So I saw this post the other day and I thought it was humorous and I figured I would share it with you guys. Now there's a disclaimer, not everyone may think this is funny, but I feel that every now and then we need a good laugh and be able to laugh at ourselves. So here we go. Top 5 reasons sterile processing is the best place you could work during a virus. Number 5. The temperature and humidity are controlled in sterile processing to inhibit the growth of germs. Number four, there is a positive and negative air pressure to help keep out the germs. Number three, there are 10 air exchanges every hour, ventilating bad air out and letting fresh air in. Number two, there is disinfectant everywhere and you can wear your PPE all day long in decontamination. And last, let's get a drum roll and the top reason sterile processing is the best place to work during a virus. Most people don't want to come down to sterile processing in the first place. So there you have it. A little levity to start off the show. Uh, Credit for this goes to Pro at HQ. Keeping on with the theme of top five, in the last edition of Insights, which is information for Isham community, is a section named Your Five Ways. So in this edition, it's five ways to welcome a co-worker. So five things you can do when you have a new person in sterile processing. So number one, introduce yourself. Welcome them to the work area. Being new is stressful, so let's take away some of that stress. Number two, introduce your new coworker to others. You know, it can be awkward having to introduce yourself to everyone. So be involved, introduce your new coworker to your coworkers. Number three, explain what's happening and why. You know, provide a sense of purpose. Every sterile processing department is different. So explain how you do things and why you do them. Number four, include your new coworker in breaks such as lunches, you know, invite them to lunch and invite them to join your conversations. And number five reason, encourage questions and always offer your help. So five ways that you can make a difference and help out that new co-worker feel at home in their new job. All right, continuing on with our fives theme, five moments of hand hygiene and sterile processing. Now, this five moments comes from a three-year study relating hand hygiene with surgical instruments during sterile processing and other activities. This study was conducted by King Fahid Medical City led by Mr. Asaf Amaki. So forgive me if I butchered that name. So five hand hygiene moments. Number one, before and after receiving instrumentation. Number two, before and after decontamination procedures. Number three, before and after assembling, preparation and packaging. Number four, before and after loading instruments subject to sterilization. And then last, number five, before and after loading, storage of instruments, and the distribution and dispatching of instruments to the end user. So uh, good helpful hints or tips, five moments of hand hygiene that we should all be doing. And last on our list of five things, five myths regarding COVID-19 from the World Health Organization. Number one, Cold weather and snow can kill the new coronavirus. Well, no. Cold weather and snow cannot kill the new coronavirus. There's no reason to believe that cold weather can kill the new virus or other diseases. And that's because the normal body temperature remains around 36.5 to 37 degrees Celsius, regardless of the external temperature or weather. Myth number two. Can taking a hot bath prevent the new coronavirus? Taking a hot bath does not prevent you from catching COVID-19, regardless of the temperature of the bath and shower. Myth number three. Are hand dryers effective in killing COVID-19? Now this is those hand dryers that you use after you wash your hands that blow the air. Again. The answer to this is no, it does not kill COVID-19. Number four, can spraying alcohol, chlorine, or bleach products all over your body kill the new virus? No, spraying alcohol, chlorine, and bleach products all over your body will not kill the virus or viruses that have already entered your body. Spraying such substances can be harmful to clothes or mucous membranes such as your eyes and mouth. But be aware that these products can be useful to disinfect surfaces, but they need to be used under the appropriate recommendations. And myth number five, can eating garlic help prevent infection with the new coronavirus? Garlic is a healthy food that may have some antimicrobial properties. However, there is no evidence from the current outbreak that eating garlic has protected people from the new coronavirus. Some research has suggested that eating garlic will protect you from vampires and keep friends and family members at that recommended six feet from you, but it's not going to kill the new coronavirus. So on a more serious note, though, please protect yourself from COVID-19. And here's some suggestions from the World Health Organization. Wash your hands frequently. Regularly and thoroughly clean your hands with an alcohol-based hand rub and wash them with soap and water. Why? Washing your hands with soap and water, using those alcohol-based hand rubs kills the virus that may be on your hands. Maintaining social distancing. Maintain at least three feet distance between yourself and anyone who is coughing or sneezing. Why? When someone coughs or sneezes, they spray small liquid droplets from their nose and their mouth, which may contain viruses. If you're too close, you can breathe in those droplets, including COVID-19 if the person coughing has the disease. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Why? Hands touch many surfaces and can pick up the virus. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose, or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body. Practice respiratory hygiene. Make sure you and the people around you are following good respiratory hygiene. This means covering your mouth, nose, your bent elbow or tissue when you're coughing and sneezing, and then dispose of that immediately. If you have a fever, a cough, or difficulty breathing, please seek medical care early. Stay at home if you're unwell. If you have a fever or cough or difficulty breathing, seek medical attention. And remember to call in advance. Follow those directions of your local and health authority. Stay informed and follow advice given by your health care providers. So stay informed on the latest developments from COVID-19. Follow any advice given by your healthcare providers, by your national and local public authority, and your employers to help protect yourself and others from COVID-19. Why? It's because the national and local authorities will have the most up-to-date information on COVID-19 and the spread in your area. They are in the best place to advise on what people in your area should be doing to protect themselves. Again, take every precaution possible to protect yourself and your friends and family. You are important to Isham and the key component in sterile processing that provides for patient safety. So that's going to do it for this segment of What's On My Mind. Today in Mailbox Mania, we're taking a look at the April 2020 Volume 44, number 4, issue of Healthcare Purchasing News. This publication has several different sections that cater to the different positions in the healthcare facility, like the infection preventionist, uh, the operating room folks, and what we're really most interested in, sterile processing. So the sterile processing section in this publication is titled CS Connection. The CS Connection usually has three to four good articles of interest to uh, pretty much any sterile processing professional. The first article we're going to look at is titled Job Security Strong Salary Stagnant. Now this article is a 2020 CSSPD Salary Survey. Right? The article features several testimonials from different leaders in sterile processing profession including uh, your isham president tony thurman and he states the complexity of the job is much different than the days of old and the compensation should reflect that increased responsibility and job knowledge the article also lists out several different job positions like OR liaisons, uh, your technicians, your educators. It provides an average salary associated with all those positions. So it's very interesting. The article also breaks down salary by the type of facility and the location. So for example, different types of beds, uh, whether you're in an urban, a rural, or suburban location. And then it further goes on and gives you graphics uh, that break down by region and even by gender. So good information, lots of good graphics. The article also goes on and gives some good advice about climbing that career ladder in sterile processing. So again, good information, and I think it would be really interesting to see where you and your facility fall when it's measured against their data in this article. So good article, Uh, check that one out. The next article, Is in the column Isham Viewpoint. Now this article is titled Investing in Educators and Focused SPD Training Promote Patient Safety Better Outcomes. So the author says that people are sterile processing leaders number one asset. Without the right people it is impossible to run a department effectively. However it takes more than warm bodies to keep the department running smoothly and above all safely effective leaders must be knowledgeable of current evidence-based practice to effectively assess their staff members abilities leaders must ask themselves do all employees function at a high enough level that mitigates errors and consistently delivers top quality instruments and service to meet the customer's needs It goes on to say that far too often leaders find the answer to that question is not a resounding yes. Staffing levels and other essential resources are often strained in many healthcare facilities, which impedes a department's ability to meet needs of the customer at those critical times. Minimizing errors is a key component to customer satisfaction and successful patient outcomes, but many sterile processing departments today like a full team of well-trained staff members who can perform any and all aspects of a job well. The article goes on to talk about the power of dedicated educators and then also discusses the value that a thorough evaluation of sterile processing professionals' capabilities an important component when establishing a targeted education program. So again, another good, uh, interesting article that I think you should read. And the last article I'm going to talk about is in the column CS solutions. Now this is a question and answer article and it's addressing two topics. So first topic, adhering to IFUs and then second, developing staff productivity standards. So the first question reads, we have hand pieces and the IFUs state to sterilize them at 270 for 15 minutes. Says we have a dynamic air removal Uh, but it does not use those exposure times and temperatures. The article goes on to say that they found a pouch, but the IFUs state that it has been tested for double pouching in, in the gravity cycle for 270 for 15 minutes. So even though the IFUs for the handpiece does not state whether they go in a double pouch, can we still do this? I guess the question here is, Can any instrument be double pouched if the Peel Pouch IFU has been tested this way? Okay, so I'm going to let you think about this one for just a minute, and I'm going to go ahead and read that second question. So the second question, I recently started a new position in sterile processing department as an education and quality assurance specialist. Now the director requested that I establish productivity standards for staff output performance. I spoke to a quality assurance specialist from another hospital within the healthcare system, and she suggested I begin gathering statistics related to patient days and bed capacity versus OR average daily census and surgical caseload. For the novice that I am, it seems a bit overwhelming and like the information might not lead to what I need to get for sterile processing staff productivity. Where would you suggest I start? And what should I include from that list that was suggested? Now, that's a really good question in my mind. And I think it's one of those questions that every facility has struggled with at one time or another. So, if you're interested in the answers to these questions, go to HPNOnline.com. Again, that's HPNOnline.com and subscribe to the healthcare purchasing news publication. It's going to have the answers to those questions, and again, it has good articles. It's a good publication with good stuff for sterile processing professionals. So, with that, that's going to do it for this segment of Mailbox Mania. Today, we're talking to Dr. Jonathan Wilder about water quality. Dr. Wilder has been active at the forefront of applying science to the art of instrument processing since joining MDT Corporation which later became a part of Getting. He has worked in cleaning, disinfection, and sterilization technologies and has been successfully assisting over 50 healthcare institutions in the United States and Canada with issues of wet steam and stained instruments over the past 10 years. He and Charlie Hancock founded their own company, H&W Technology LLC, in 1998. H&W is a founding partner of Quality Processing Resource Group, offering assistance to central sterile, sterile processing
1: with these and other issues.
0: Thank you, Dr. Wilder, for joining us today.
1: Thank you, John. And please do call me John. We're friends. And I don't like to be Dr. Wilder unless situation calls for it.
0: So... I think many of us take water quality for granted. Why do you think it's often an overlooked part of the central processing quality measurement?
1: There are a couple of things going on that cause that to happen. Uh, One is that uh, people don't know it's an issue, they don't understand that they should measure it. Everybody assumes drinking water is safe, and that's what people are generally using, just tend to go ahead and, and use it as it is. And in fact, we're doing something a lot more critical than drinking. With this water, so that's why we do need to uh, to do more. I think there's just a, there's just a lot of lack of knowledge, not willful, but a lack of knowledge that actually things can go wrong. People are not trained water scientists.
0: So, if somebody wanted to find out the really the requirements for water quality in a healthcare facility, uh, where would you suggest they look?
1: Well, there are a few sources. Uh, minimum requirements you can get from the EPA, the US EPA. Uh, under drinking water. Uh, then you would go on to get more specific to healthcare. Look at ABSD 79. Look at ABTIR 34, water quality for reprocessing or water for reprocessing. Those are the two major guidances that I can think of, uh, that would be most illuminating. You also want to look at the water quality. Once you look at those standards, you want to look at the water quality reports from your local jurisdiction mm-hmm. that provides it. If you're not compliant or if you are compliant, how compliant are you?
0: You have a great deal of experience working with steam and water quality issues. Is it accurate to say that some of these issues are more common than others? If so, what are the more common issues that you see in the sterile processing area?
1: There are some um, heavy hitters. Uh, for lack of a better term, things that happen more frequently than others. Uh, staining from uh, unfiltered, unprepped city water that is on the verge of not being drinkable, for example, is, is one possible, one frequent situation. Another is uh, that steam isn't tested, ever. Uh, if you look at the if you look at the uh, installation instructions from any sterilizer manufacturer, there is a requirement to test for 97% uh pure steam. Uh, that's sort of a misnomer. Pure steam means something else, but 97% dry steam is what they mean. And that, that is what has been codified in AST 79 uh, as of the last edition 2017. The, uh, the requirements for uh, steam dryness, in other words moisture content, the requirements for steam uh, non-condensable gas, in other words air content and superheat. These are the three measures of the actual steam quality, the physical aspects of steam, and these are never measured until somebody calls me or someone like me in because they're having a problem.
0: So are the issues you just said, like the, the air quality, are those preventable through the CS department personnel, or is this going to take facilities to be involved? Who's really going to be responsible for identifying those things?
1: If you have a baseline measurement and you know where things were at, let's say, facilities engineering at the steam, produ- steam production or the water purification parts of the hospital, then you can have them keep an eye on, the, the facilities engineering folks keep an eye on things. These are not normally within the scope of the experience of the people in sterile processing. However, there are a number of relatively easy measurements, very inexpensive, that sterile processing folk can make to keep an eye on things themselves. And because they are inexpensive, they really should be done. And they're not difficult at all to do. And these are involve dipstick testing for a variety of things, uh, pH, uh, hardness, alkalinity, iron content, copper content, chloride content. Chloride is the nemesis of stainless steel. You don't want to be on a certain level, and you really need to keep an eye on that sort of thing. Otherwise, you're going to get your in, your washers or sterilizers or instruments chewed up.
0: Would you address some of the risk factors for patients as it kind of relates to water used in sterile processing?
1: Right. So most of the contaminants are going to make instruments look ugly or are going to make packaging look ugly. They're not going to have any effect on, on patient safety. But the operating room isn't going to like them. And so that's a different subject. Uh, but if the water used in washer disinfectors, for example, or rinsing or anything like that, is high in endotoxins, or has bacterial bacterial bio-burden in it, uh, this can be quite dangerous for patients, especially immunocompromised patients, and that stuff shouldn't be in there, and that's why in TIR 34, those levels are established as to what should be in the water and what should not.
0: Poor water quality takes a toll on equipment. What type of damage have you seen uh, because of the result of poor water quality and Washers or sterilizers or other equipment?
1: Uh, most commonly, hard water uh, builds up and, uh, sorry to be all tactical here, crud up the boiler <laughs> for, uh, if there's an onboard boiler for a sterilizer or um, build up, on, uh, build up uh, lime deposits on heating elements in, uh, in washers, this decreases the efficiency of uh, either steam production in the first case or drying in the washer in the second case. I've seen... Um, Unfiltered water coming in from previously broken water mains deposits, uh, deposit, uh, flecks of, uh, soil of various kinds, uh, on, uh, instruments in, uh, washer disinfectors and, uh, and that can also impact the, uh, longevity of the, the, uh, of the chamber of the washer disinfector, of the, uh, the hub of the spray arms, uh, block, uh, spray arm, uh, holes so that you don't get uniform coverage of the instruments by the washer, and therefore you don't get uniformly clean within the ability of the washer to do that. So if there's high chloride, again, I come back to that as being the nemesis of stainless steel, it will chew up the chambers, it will chew up the instruments, it will cause expensive problems. Uh, when I was working at MDT, we had a case where uh, there were two washers uh, that were being fed, well, they were in a city near Lake, Lake Erie, And one of them kept having a hole corroded in the side of the chamber. The other one did not. We thought they were on the same supply. Nobody could understand this. And finally, the old, and it was a very old building, plumbing was traced down, and it turned out one was using Lake Erie water and was using city water, and the one that had Lake Erie water was the one that was chewing itself up on a reliable basis. So it can get really bad. Sterilizers, uh You'll see chambers are pretty dirty sometimes. They should be cleaned, but you should figure out why they get dirty in the first place. It's like if you blow a fuse in a... In a I know it's a circuit breaker at home, but if you blow a fuse in a machine, why did it blow? Uh, you, you don't just replace it or use a bigger one. Why did it blow? Find the overload. Make it go away. Uh, find the root cause. And um, if the sta- chamber's getting dirty, it's its unsightly. You're supposed to be clean. You know, it's, you're supposed to be... Not exposing the uh, instruments or the processed goods to soil, yet here you go. Uh, it's kind of hard to hurt a, a sterilizer chamber because steam is usually reasonably well managed by the house steam production facility in the, in the building. But sometimes it, uh, you can get them pretty dirty and that then you need to talk to them about the level of chemistry they're using.
0: If a facility doesn't have a formal plan in place to measure water quality,
1: uh, what steps do you recommend? A number of the manufacturers are very accommodating and actually have testing labs under contract or own them, and will do this for you for free, at least the first time. So you can get your baseline measurements taken care of uh, by the manufacturer. They may not do it on an ongoing basis, Uh, and it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's very easy to do testing. Once you know where you you were, once you have a baseline measurement like that, it's very cheap and easy to do testing, obtaining test strips, uh, dipsticks, test strips from uh, some of the medical supply houses, uh, and uh, if you like something slightly better, going to industrial supply houses and looking for the specific uh, test strips that you want. And these would be, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but pH... Alkalinity, hardness, iron, copper, chloride, maybe manganese. If you if your local water quality test shows that it might be there, uh, I've seen manganese uh, completely fill up a, a jacket of a sterilizer with uh, little black nodules, uh, and the sterilizer basically became a boat anchor. But to um, to develop one, experience is, is a good teacher. If you have a baseline measurement let's say from, from a sterilizer or washer manufacturer, you have a starting point. And then I would quarterly, or more frequently, especially if you're having problems, test all the items I just listed. Again, it's very inexpensive to do this, and it's cheap insurance. If things start to go, get worse, you'll see it. And if things don't start to get worse, you can back off to a, to a less frequent regime. But I would recommend twice a year, preferably quarterly as your end game.
0: You know, water quality, really for the CS, it's really difficult sometimes for our folks to understand everything that goes
1: into it. So right. thank you for shedding just a little bit of light on that for us today. Well, it's my pleasure. I mean, I've seen so many horror stories that were preventable, and it, we want sterile processing to be productive, efficient, and not shut down for foolish reasons. I do, because I've been a patient. I'm going to be one again, I'm sure. Huh. And... uh yeah, I want it. I want everything to be in place, not just for myself, but for anybody who has to go into a healthcare institution and have have treatments being done on them, because there's no reason to get out, come out sicker than when you went in.
0: Again, thank you, Doctor Wilder, for speaking with us today. Isham Nation episode thirteen is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes. Fill out the required information and select the code Water Quality. Again, the code for this episode is Water Quality. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode is on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.